Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, April 10th, 2016. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Before today's podcast starts, I just want to let those listening at home know that due to copyright restrictions, we're not able to show or to include the clips from the movies. Uh, I know it's a disappointment. Sorry about that. But hopefully you'll um, be able to go and watch the movies yourself. And now on with the sermon. It was about a year ago this time that Jody and I knew that we would be coming to California, moving here from Hawaii. So I started saving up money to buy annual passes to Disneyland. Now, prior to moving to Hawaii, I had grown up uh, elementary school in Scottsdale, Arizona. Eight-hour car trip from Scottsdale to Disneyland. Our family made that three or four times. And then uh, one year, when I was uh, a... um, uh, uh, an elementary school student, all the students of the month got invited to go to Disneyland. They were, the school was chartering a bus. We left at like, we were gonna, they were going to leave at like 10 p.m., drive all night, get there in the morning, spend the full day, and then be back like at 4 in the morning or something like that, just a one-day trip. My parents, I kid you not, told me, well, Jim, we're, we're not going to let you go this year because... If we let you do everything you have a chance to do, there would be nothing left to look forward to as you got older. I thought it was the lamest excuse ever. Now I had to get earn another Student of the Month award that my eighth grade year, which I happened to do, and then I was able to go uh, in eighth grade. So all's well that ends well, I guess. Anyway, last September, uh, during Labor Day weekend, Jody and I bought our annual passes in celebration of our 25th wedding anniversary. And uh, thank you. We've made it a point to go at least once a month, every month since then, including this past week. We spent all day Tuesday and part of Wednesday down at the park. And we always had such a great time. It, it kind of keeps me in touch with the childlike spirit that Jesus talked about, right? So really, I'm just living out my faith as a Christian by going to Disneyland, right? Right. Uh, one of the t-shirts that I love to wear is a Disney villain shirt. It's got uh, nine block prints of different villains. And I try to go and get pictures with each of the villains that are on the shirt, including, as you see here, the Wicked Queen um, from Snow White. I was pretty excited to get to, know her, to get to take a picture with her, and I tried to imitate her attitude. Not everyone was excited. This was the girl just before me. It is so cute. I know. Like, I'm sure her parents were like, you're going to take a picture with the Wicked Queen and like it. Well, I'm glad you're here uh, with us this morning to start this new sermon series, Faith in Disney. And in order to kick off this series, I'm going to share with you seven fun facts about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Fun fact number one, did you know there are exactly 11 human characters in this film? Snow White, the Seven Dwarfs. The queen, the prince, and the huntsman. And the huntsman is the only human who doesn't, isn't given a name in the movie. Number two, it's also interesting to note that in every country uh, where the movie has been translated, it has its own set of names for the seven dwarfs. Now, I know you can't read this chart, uh, but know that in all different countries, they all have different names for each of the seven dwarfs. However, in the original fairy tale by the Brothers Grimm, the dwarfs had no individual names at all. Number three, speaking of names, some uh, Disney animators were opposed to the name Dopey, 
uh, not because what you might think, they thought it was too modern a word to use in a timeless fairy tale. Well, Walt Disney made the argument that William Shakespeare used the word in one of his plays, and that managed to convince the rest of the group to go for it. Now, so far, no one's been able to find the word dopey in any of Shakespeare's plays. (laughs) That sly Uncle Walt, huh? Fun fact number four, Snow White was the first film ever to have a soundtrack recording album released for it. They recorded 25 songs, even though only eight of them were actually used in the film. Fun fact number five, it was also the first of many Disney films to have a premiere engagement at New York City's Radio City Music Hall. At the end of their initial engagement, uh, all the velvet seat, seat upholstery had to be replaced in the theater. It seems that young children were so frightened by the sequence of Snow White lost in the forest that they wet their pants and the seats after every single showing. Fun fact number six, at a recording session, Lucille Laverne, the voice of the Wicked Queen, was told by Walt Disney's animators that they needed a a raspier, older version of the Queen's voice when she became the old witch. Well, Miss Laverne stepped out of the recording booth. She returned a few minutes later and gave the perfect old hag's voice that just stunned all of the animators. Afterwards, they asked her how she was able to do it, and she said, oh, simple, I just took my teeth out. (laughs) Fun fact number seven, in 2008, the American Film Institute listed Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs as the number one greatest animated film of all time. By the way, nine out of their top ten films are Disney and or Pixar films. Well, this is the beginning of what I expect to be a magical sermon series, Faith in Disney. Over the next five weeks, we'll be looking at five different Disney films. Three of them are old school movies that were made while Walt was still alive, and two are more recent films done in the last two decades or so. Now, our goal is to look for spiritual themes and elements of faith that we find in Disney storytelling. Many writers, biographers, and commentators have talked about a Disney gospel or universal themes that can be found through most of Walt Disney's films, a gospel that was carefully crafted by Walt himself. In his book, The Gospel According to Disney, Faith, Trust, and Pixie Dust, author Mark Pinsky notes such components of the Disney gospel as good always being rewarded, evil always being punished, Faith being essential, faith in yourself and faith in something greater than yourself, and the power of optimism and hard work. In another book, The Gospel in Disney, Philip Longfellow Anderson also adds the ideas of inclusion, of concern for other people's feelings, as well as sacrifice that leads to resurrection. Now, before we jump back into Snow White, I think it's important to get a little background on Walt Disney's upbringing and and to set the stage for the series ahead. It all begins with his father, Elias Disney, born in 1859. As a child, Elias attended Wesleyan Methodist Church and the Sunday school there in Bluevale, Ontario. Walt's brother Roy said of his father, he came out of a period when they were strict and very stern. Elias was a carpenter, and he even helped build St. Paul's Congregational Church in northwest Chicago, where Walt grew up. Elias was such good friends with the minister of St. Paul's that he even preached sermons for him from time to time when he was away on vacation. 
Well, it happened that both of their wives became pregnant in 1901. And Elias made a proposal to his pastor. If we have a boy, we'll name him after you. And if you have a boy, you name him after me. Well, Reverend Walter Parr thought this was a great idea. And it turns out that both babies born were boys. So the Parr family welcomed little Elias Parr into the parsonage. And on December 5th, 1901, this carpenter's family bestowed the name of their pastor on their fourth child, Walter Elias Disney. Walt was baptized six months later in that same church that his dad helped build. But Elias also had an occasional mean streak in him. Most family historians agree that Elias's authoritarian and sometimes cruel nature and his propensity for whipping and even beating his younger sons played a role in turning Walt and Roy against the church. Maybe that's why Walt Disney was adamant that he didn't want any religion in any of his movies. Author Bob Thomas notes that Walt never made a religious film and churchmen were rarely portrayed in Disney movies. The Disney empire, by its founder's designation, is a kingdom of magic, almost totally without reference to any kingdom of heaven. But though they may have been ambivalent about organized religion, both Walt and Roy held the deep spiritual convictions. And I believe it's easy to see that Christian faith shine through so many of the Disney films. Walt once said in an interview, We like to have a point of view in our stories, not an obvious moral, but a worthwhile theme. And I dare say just about every one of us here today has been shaped in some way or another by Walt's worthwhile themes that his beloved movies that he and his company have produced over the years. Well, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is, as the Disney company exclaims, the one that started it all. And it began in 1937 with these words. Once upon a time, there lived a lovely little princess named Snow White. Her vain and wicked stepmother, the queen, feared that someday Snow White's beauty would surpass her own. So she dressed the little princess in rags and forced her to work as a scullery maid. Each day, the vain queen would consult her magic mirror, magic mirror on the wall, who's the fairest one of all? And as long as the mirror answered, you are the fairest one of all, Snow White was safe from the queen's cruel jealousy. And right here at the very beginning of our film, we're faced with the reality of evil, the queen. She is the first character ever to appear in a Disney feature film. And what an entrance she makes. Magic mirror on the wall, who's the fairest one of all? As Philip Longfellow Anderson puts it, she is icily attractive, but we can sense that cold-bloodedness beneath her beauty. When the magic mirror tells the queen that Snow White is the most beautiful of the land, well, the queen is sent off into a jealous rage. And, and right from the start, the queen exhibits the sins of envy, vanity, and jealousy, with many worse sins soon to follow which is where we get our first glimpse of Snow White, dressed in rags, cleaning the steps outside the palace. And she's happy. I mean, despite the circumstances of her life, despite being neglected by her stepmother, she is filled with joy. And we see early on that she has a special relationship with our friends in the animal kingdom, in this case, the doves. But you'll see many others as the movie progresses. And Snow White sings of wishing for true love to find her. And in the middle of the song, almost as if on cue, a prince appears in the forest and he begins to join with her in singing. 
Unfortunately, the queen also sees this romantic interaction and decides, well, she has to take matters into her own hands sooner rather than later. So she sends her hunter out to kill Snow White in the forest when Snow White is least expecting it. And bring her heart back in this box, the queen says, in order to make sure that the dirty deed gets done. And as loyal as the hunter is, he can't bring himself to harm the princess. So he lets her go, and he tells her to run deep, deep into the forest where the wicked queen will never be able to find her. And so Snow White has this harrowing adventure running through the scary forest at night where it looks like the trees are reaching out to grab her. This, by the way, is the um, unfortunate upholstery problem that they had in, uh, in Radio City Music Hall. Yeah. The next morning, she wakes up in a clearing and soon befriends many of the forest animals who lead her to a charming little house tucked away in the forest. Now, we all know who lives there, but Snow White doesn't. And upon entering, this is what she finds. Well, meanwhile, at a nearby diamond mine, tough job, right? But somebody's got to do it, huh? We finally get to meet the seven dwarfs. They seem to be quite good at their job of unearthing diamonds and quite fond of singing. Whether it's off to work or home from work, they always go singing hi-ho. To say they were surprised when they got home to find a newly cleaned house would be an understatement. Uh, So Snow White has fallen asleep upstairs, exhausted from the cleaning, and in this scene, she finally gets to see her hosts. And despite Grumpy's insistence that all females are full of wicked wiles, the dwarfs decide to let her stay, even knowing that the wicked queen is after her. It's a brave decision that these seven little men choose to make, one that will eventually bring danger to their peaceful home. A home that is soon filled with all kinds of love and joy and song now that Snow White is part of their family. Meanwhile, back at the Wicked Queen's castle, she discovers during one of her magic mirror sessions that Snow White still is the fairest in the land. When the queen tries telling the mirror that, no, she has the heart of Snow White in a box, the mirror tells her that that's actually the heart of a pig that the huntsman brought back to you. And he says that Snow White is safe in the house of the seven dwarfs. Now, why the mirror had to go there, I don't know. He could have just said, no, she's hiding. You'll never, ever find her again. And she would have been safe. But no, I guess Walt wanted to make it a little bit more exciting. Well, uh, anyway, the queen devises a plan to rid herself of Snow White once and for all. And of course, it involves deception. She mixes up a concoction that will transform her into an old hag. And it works like a charm. We discover that she's no queen at all, but a powerful witch who is capable of all kinds of dastardly deeds. And she will do whatever it takes to kill Snow White, including creating a poisoned apple. Well, Snow White sends the seven dwarfs off to work the next day, not knowing that she is soon to be paid a visit by the wicked witch queen in the guise of an old hag. Full of such joy and goodness, Snow White isn't even the least bit suspicious by the woman who has come to her window, trying to get her to make apple pie instead of gooseberry pie. Her forest friends, however, can sense the evil, and they uh, try to alert Snow White to the danger, but Snow White just shoes them away, and she invites the old hag into her house to rest. So the animals head off to the diamond mine and try to warn the dwarfs before it's too late. Well, knowing that she and Snow White are all alone now, the Wicked Witch plays on Snow White's dream of true love and tells her about 
the magic wishing apple. Some have criticized Disney for putting such frightening and somewhat disturbing images in a movie supposedly geared towards children. In an early draft of an article he wrote in 1962 for the inspirational magazine Guidepost, Walt Disney wrote this. Children are people, and they should have to reach to learn about things, to understand things, just as adults have to reach if they want to grow in mental stature. Life is composed of lights and shadows, and we would be untruthful, insincere, and saccharine if we tried to pretend there were no shadows. Most things are good, and they are the strongest things. But there are evil things, too. And you're not doing any child a favor by trying to shield them from reality. The important thing is to teach a child that good can always triumph over evil. And that is what our pictures attempt to do. We can find the same story in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the crafty serpent and forbidden fruit. God had already arranged a wonderful environment for the first man and the first woman, and they could roam wherever they like and eat whatever they like, as long as they didn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest they die. It was a great setup, but like the Wicked Witch Queen's enticement that she had a magic wishing apple, the serpent in Genesis 3 tells Eve that she won't die at all. No, you'll be more like God. Friends, these stories remind us that evil is present in this world. It's deceptive and seductive. It usually doesn't appear to be poisonous to us. We humans seem to be drawn to wanting things that delight us. An addictive drug, an illicit romance, an act of vengeance, an uncontrolled passion, a selfish temptation. They all seem to promise bliss, but often deliver tragedy. Too often we get caught up on focusing on our own wants and desires rather than whatever it is that God may want or desire for us. And that can be deadly. For not only does it, is it not healthy for us, but it moves us away from where God wants us to be. Through the seven, though the seven dwarfs didn't make it back in time to save Snow White, they did find the courage and the resolve to chase the witch up to a high cliff. And with the help of an opportune bolt of lightning from above, the witch fell to her doom. The dwarfs couldn't find it in their hearts to bury her. She looked just as beautiful in death as she had in life. And eventually they fashion her a coffin of glass and gold and they keep vigil by her side. It was the only way they felt they could express their love. Yes, friends, evil does exist and sometimes it appears to have the upper hand in life. But the good news of the gospel and the good news of many Disney films is that evil does not have the final say. We're in the season of Eastertide, and that's the message of the empty tomb, that death is not the end. Through love, Jesus has conquered death. Remember when the witch made her poison apple? There was one antidote, love's first kiss. And remember, we still have that 11th character to hear from once again, the prince. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what your past or present is like, whatever sin you may have been involved in, whatever poison has infused your soul, there is an antidote. Evil does not have the final say. In Christ Jesus, there is forgiveness, restoration, and salvation. It is a gift from God, not because we deserve it, but because He loves us. And He willingly gave His life so that we might have the kind of life that God intends for all of us. A life of true love, love that surrounds us wherever we go and wherever we've been. It's not magic, it's God. 
And it's available for all of us if only we'll accept him. We may not live happily ever after, but we will live eternally ever after. And our lives can exhibit the same joy that Snow White had in spite of the life's challenges that come our way. You see, God will be able to help us stand up and resist evil when it comes. And it comes again and again and again, whether in the form of old granny, uh, old scratch, or some other poisonous personality, because that's, well, that's just the way things are in life. But thanks be to God for the power to overcome and for the amazing gift of story, of life, of love, of joy, and of faith. Amen. Amen.